so let us attend our whole selves. Second Samuel 6 and verse 17. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Well, we have seen here in this chapter David seeking, as it were, to unite heaven and earth by bringing God's throne to sit near to the human throne, David's, David's throne. We have also seen David seek to unite Israel in worship, in their worship of Yahweh, by bringing the ark to Jerusalem. And then, as we'll see in the next chapter, he endeavors to go the next step by building a house for the Lord. Now, in this process, we have been reminded, David has been reminded, that God ultimately is the one who is God. We cannot manipulate him. We cannot use him as a tool for our purposes, even if those intentions are good. And so, God's holiness must be remembered when we come to worship him. His law must be obeyed. And so after failure in this, after sin, after judgment and death, David and the religious leaders finally do things as God said they should. Probably tens of thousands of people participated in the bringing of the ark to Jerusalem. You know that was the number at the beginning, probably also here when they finally do bring it. And they bring it into this tent in Jerusalem, and uh, it's not the tabernacle, but a temporary tent here for this purpose. So we spent a little bit of time last week looking at uh, the, the history of the tabernacle, beginning in Shiloh, and it ends up in Nob for a time, and then in Gibeon. And there are a lot of questions here. We can't say for sure exactly how it all fits together, uh, but here are some of the things that we see. So David then successfully brings the ark to Jerusalem with much celebration and excitement, singing and dancing. And we see that David acts like a priest, either directly or by closely working with the priests and the Levites. Remember that David dressed like a priest. It says he offered sacrifices and blessed the people and gave gifts. So if David actually did these things, then it's only because he is a type of Christ in the order of Melchizedek as a priest king, pointing, of course, to Jesus. But it is also quite possible that David was very closely connected to what the priests and Levites were doing, but they're the ones who actually did uh, these things. Whichever it is, we, um, uh, we have seen this connection and expansion between the account here in 2 Samuel and in 1 Chronicles. And so thus far, we have seen verses 1 to 11 here in 2 Samuel 6, and how that connects with 1 Chronicles 13. And in that chapter, more information is given. And then we've seen in verses 12 to 16, that connect to 1 Chronicles 15, and much more information is given there. And now here, especially verses 17 to 19, 
we see this will connect to 1 Chronicles 16. And again, much more information is given. But we've also seen some suggestions of connections with the Psalms. Okay? We will see here in just a moment, 1 Chronicles 16, connect to Psalms 96, 105, and 106. But we've already seen some suggestions here a couple weeks ago. I mentioned about Psalm 47, and even just tonight, we used that for the call to worship. We also see a connection with Psalm 68 that we looked at last week. And now let's turn there in just a moment, because uh, Kathy raised a question for me at the end last week, and... uh, Um, wondered about something, and so I wanted to point that out to you. In Psalm 68, you may recall from last week, we focused especially on verses 15 to 18, the giving of the gifts and how this points to Christ's ascension, giving gifts to his church, and uh, how that may then point to what David had done. And then in verses 24 to 27, about the processing of God into a sanctuary, and so these connections um, to this event... um, certainly point in the direction that Psalm 68 was written for this event. But if you go back to verse 1, it says, Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let those also who hate him flee before him. All right, so let's turn here then a moment to Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10. This is shortly before Israel was going to leave Mount Sinai. And note these words at the end of the chapter, Numbers 10, verse 35. So it was, whenever the ark set out, that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. This connection here, this same language, the same idea in Psalm 68 also gives us reason to believe that this psalm was written for this event in 2 Samuel 6. So Psalm 47, possibly. Psalm 68, possibly. Okay. And so as we come back to 2 Samuel 6, then, um, we uh, see especially now verses 17 to 19 corresponding to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. I read verse 17, again verse 18. Uh, It talks about blessing the people, verse 19, about distributing gifts. So let's turn now to 1 Chronicles 16, and we'll spend uh, most of our time now tonight in this passage. Again, the whole purpose is just to combine these scripture passages to expound and expand on uh, what we have here in uh, 2 Samuel. So in 1 Chronicles 16, now verses 1 to 3. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So virtually verbatim uh, here in these uh, two passages. And again, we're left with a a few questions that we looked at last time, but... Uh, Overall, same basic point. So let's continue then. Verse 4. And he, right, David, appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord. And note three things here. To commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. 
to commemorate, obviously we're talking about remembering things, and then obviously to give thanks and to praise. And so uh, these men, led by Asaph, are going to write psalms and put them to music. So verse 5, Asaph the chief, and next to him, Zechariah, then Jael, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, Mattathiah, Eliab, Beniah, and Obed-Edom. Jael was stringed instruments and harps, but Asaph made music with cymbals. Beniah and Jehaziel, the priests, regularly blew the trumpets before the Ark of the Covenant of God. The implication seems to be that these are the ones who were leading on this particular event, because what we're going to see at the end, verses 37 and following, um, clearly refers to what they were going to do after they got there. And so this suggests to us that these men in particular were leading the way in this procession. But as we saw in chapter 15, there were a whole lot more people. Hey, remember hundreds of, of uh, Levites and sons of Kohath and so forth. And so Asaph then, the chief musician, one of them, uh, plus these others, are, are doing so. So then we come to verse 7. On that day, David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. So these men may have written some psalms for this event. Again, Psalm 47 uh, may have been part of that. Um, and David wrote one. And that's what we have here. And so Asaph either took the poem that David wrote and set it to music, or David already had written a tune for it, and now Asaph is uh, arranging it so that all Israel can play it and sing it together here in this context, and of course even later. Notice then, uh, we'll just briefly work our way through this psalm here tonight. He begins by saying, verse 8, O give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. First of all, notice the language of thanksgiving. We saw it also there in verse 7. And uh, it takes us back to verse 4, right? The three key things here they are going to do. And so giving thanks is certainly part of that. And notice here that David is calling them to worship. In fact, there are 11 commands just in verses 8 to 12. And so we have these three here in this verse. Then verse 9, sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of his wondrous works. So three more here in this verse. Now remember that singing psalms implies that they were using instruments. You may remember in our study of the psalms and such that that word uh, psalm actually means to play an instrument. And so certainly the, the instrumentation would have been assumed here, not just vocalizing, but using instruments. Verse 10, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. And so <clears throat> David is calling us to worship. He's calling us to sing our praises and give our thanksgivings. And now he says here three times about seeking the Lord. Uh, the one at the end of verse 10 and the second one here in verse 11 are the same Hebrew word. And the first one in verse 11 is a different one. And it's like David is trying to encompass all the different ways that we can seek. The first word in verse 11 emphasizes seeking with questions. You're inquiring, you're asking someone a question or something to that effect. And so it's like we are seeking uh, with our mind, with our intellect, 
to try to understand or something to that effect. The second word, though, emphasizes seeking by looking for something, like when you've lost your keys or you know, you're trying to find a, a pair of socks that match or whatever. You're, you're seeking for it. You're looking for it. And so in both of these ways, David is calling us in our worship to seek after the Lord. Seek with understanding and seek, can you say, physically? Come to him. Seek after him. May it move your whole person, you might say. And so not just with the mind, not just uh, in one way or the other. So then verse 12, remember his marvelous works, which he had done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. So now we go back again to verse 4, to remember. And so to commemorate, and David is addressing uh, now this aspect as well. And then verse 13, he finally tells us uh, who is to do this. O seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Okay, now obviously that's been the assumption. We've set this in the context and so on. But in the psalm itself, here now we are finally told uh, whom, uh, who is to, who to praise and, and who is addressed. All right, now verses 14 and following give us another uh, idea here. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac, and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance, when you were few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in it. And so David is calling us to worship, to give glory to God. Now he says something about God. He starts with uh, his name, the Lord our God, and then he focuses especially on remembering what God has done by way of covenant. So again, note the word here for remember. And so he elaborates here briefly on the covenant promises, especially to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and in particular, the land promise of the different promises he gave to Abraham. And then we see verses 20 to 22. When they went from one nation to another and from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. All right, now <clears throat> this seems to be alluding to the time in Egypt the exodus, possibly the wilderness, and uh, the conquest time frame. And uh, it's not all that clear, but it does suggest that. Again, back to the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it would suggest those ideas. And so notice how David is connecting the present to the past. As we are bringing the Ark of the Lord to Jerusalem here, roughly 1,000 B.C., let's connect back even a thousand years uh, to Abraham and 400 years back to the time of the Exodus. Our God is the same God. His covenant is the same. That hasn't changed. And God also is on our side. He is protecting us and helping us just like happened before. And so in our worship and our calls to worship, let us remember who God is. Let us remember his promises, his ways. 
and they apply to us just like they did before. There may be some adjustment and changes over the, the course of the centuries, uh, but ultimately the same essential point is for us today. Well, he continues now, verse 23, back to some calls to worship here. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. All right, so three more commands here. And in this call to worship, notice how he expands it to all the earth is to sing praise. And note especially, we are also then to proclaim it to those throughout the earth. We are not just to come into the walls of the church and praise our God. We should sing our praises and then tell others about these things of God as well. So, the um, can you say uh, very focused worship here in bringing the ark to Jerusalem, David has in mind a global impact, not just... Uh, for them then. So then verse 25, for the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. So we transition back now to God here in this uh, set of verses. The reason why we praise is not only because of God's covenant promises, as we saw before. But notice, okay, God is great, and there is no other. Everything else are false gods. The true God is worthy of our worship, not any idols, not anyone else. And so not only the emphasis of the covenant, but here in the uniqueness of God, here in this way. So now back to some commands. Verse 28 Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. All right, six more commands here in these verses. And notice, we are to give Yahweh glory and praise and worship him. And notice here then that uh, Israel is doing this. They're bringing their offering. The families of the peoples, right? Everybody's going to do this. And uh, we are to come humbly, trembling before him and so on. And then in verse 31, let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field rejoice in all that is in it. Then the trees of the woods shall rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. All right, five more commands to worship here. And notice the difference. In the previous section, the focus is on Israel doing this. Now in this section, hey, all creation is to rejoice at Yahweh's coming. And so the heavens, the uh, earth, the sea, the field, the trees, they're all to rejoice because God is coming. Okay? And of course, right, they're 
bringing God's presence to Jerusalem. And so everyone is to uh, respond. All right, now verse 34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And say, save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us together and deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. And so here in these two verses, this final call to worship, two more commands are given to the people. But notice there are also three petitions when we pray to God. We are praying these three things, save us, gather us, and deliver us. So all together now, if you've been tallying these commands, uh, you should have 30 here in this psalm. 30 times David is calling on us to worship God in these different ways. Praise Yahweh. 30 times he's telling us to do it. And certainly this is fitting for this occasion of bringing the ark to Jerusalem. Okay. <clears throat> Now we have a final word then, verse 36. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. All right, so a final word of praise, and everybody now responds. Um, possibly, David recited this, and the people responded. Uh, possibly, they all sang it together. And then they all said amen at the end. And David, maybe, or the priest, or Asaph, just said verse 36, and they responded. Again, we don't have enough information to say for sure. But um, this brings this uh, psalm of praise to a conclusion here. All right, now let's look at the next part, verse 37. So he, right, David, left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark regularly, as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom with his 68 brethren, including Obed-Edom the son of Jeduthun and Hosa the gatekeepers. Now remember, that second Obed-Edom is likely the one where the Ark stayed in his house. Verse 39 and Zadok the priest and his brethren the priests before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high place that was at Gibeon to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering regularly morning and evening and to do according to all that is written in the law of the Lord which he commanded Israel. And with them Haman and Jeduthun and the rest who were chosen who were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord because his mercy endures forever." And with them, Haman and Jeduthun, to sound aloud with trumpets and cymbals and the musical instruments of God. Now the sons of Jeduthun were gatekeepers. Now clearly, these set of verses take us from this particular event to um, right, more day-to-day -day kinds of things. And so they certainly led the way for this event, but also then led the way for the daily worship. Notice that there was music for that as well as the sacrifices, right? Verse 40 especially. Uh, notice that they came to Jerusalem with the ark, but then they went to Gibeon to do their everyday sacrifices. Um, again, you might remember I asked the question last week, did David offer all these burnt offerings and peace offerings in Jerusalem or in Gibeon? And 
Um, did he bring the bronze altar to Jerusalem to offer it, and then they take it back? Yeah, we're not sure. But certainly when it came to the day-to-day, they were doing this at Gibeon for now, until, of course, the temple was completed. Um, notice also here uh, one more comment in verse 40. Uh, the morning and evening sacrifice. This is why we are gathered here tonight. This isn't just because we think it's a good idea. Um, Historically, churches have met morning and evening on the Lord's Day to coincide with what Israel did for the sacrifice. They did it in the morning and the evening. We have followed in their footsteps in this way. We've also seen Christians throughout the centuries do the same kind of thing in their family and private devotional times. They pray in the morning and in the evening following, again, this pattern. And so, um, just a a brief word in that way. All right, so then, verse 43. Then all the people departed, every man to his house, and David returned to bless his house. So again, verses 37 to 42 kind of uh, take us forward a bit, and now we come back to the end of the day, or possibly a few days. We're not told how long it was. Uh, but when they were done, everybody goes home, and David goes home too, and blesses his house. Presumably, Aaron's blessing was used uh, even there. All right. <clears throat> now, if I were preaching through First Chronicles 16, certainly I would um, slow down, and we would expand on on these different things. And I would give you a translation and so on, like I've done with the Psalms, to to help us to see more clearly what uh, is here. But let me uh, call our attention to this. I mentioned the 30 commands, but also in any passage that you read, look for the names of God that are used, because it's going to tell us something. So what names of God do we see here? Well, if you were paying attention as we went through, you would see, obviously, the name Lord in capital letters, right? Yahweh our covenant Lord, and that name is used 16 times here in the psalm itself and nine more times in the rest of the chapter, so verses 1 to 7 and 37 and following, and so 25 times altogether. The other name that we see is God or Elohim. That is used three times in the psalm and five times uh, in the rest of the chapter. And so in verse 14, note how it's combined with Yahweh. He is Yahweh our God. Yahweh Eloheinu is how you'd say it in Hebrew. And verse 35, we see it again. O God of our salvation. And then verse 36, the Lord God of Israel. And so two of the three times God is used, it's combined with Yahweh. And this is no surprise. We see this throughout the Psalms and throughout many other places. Um, and so altogether then, we have 25 times Yahweh, 8 times Elohim or God. Um, and in the Psalm itself, we have 19 times and these two names of God that are used. Plus, of course, add all the pronouns. And there are many throughout this Psalm. The focus of our worship, of course, is God. The focus of our worship is our covenant Lord, the one who has entered into relationship with us, not merely our maker, but the one who has come to save us. 
this is why we praise him. This is why we worship. This is why we gather here in the evening, not just in the morning. This is why we come here and maybe record the Super Bowl and watch it later. We don't act like the world in this way. We, we focus on our worship with the Lord here. All right, now, <clears throat> there's another thing that I want us to observe here about this, and uh, that is this. First Chronicles 16, and this psalm is also found in the Psalms, in the Psalter. And so let me show that to you here briefly. Um, verses, and keep your hand here, we'll kind of go back and forth a little bit. Verses 8 to 22, so the first half of the psalm. Okay, all these commands to worship, and then the focus on God and the covenant and so forth. This, then, is found in Psalm 105. So let's turn there just a moment. Psalm 105. All right. Now, <clears throat> you'll notice, first of all, here in the Psalter, Psalm 105 does not have a superscription, doesn't tell us who wrote it. Uh, we know for sure that David wrote the first 15 verses because that's what connects here to First Chronicles. The rest of it, maybe somebody else wrote. That's maybe why they didn't put uh, who wrote it at the beginning. <coughs> but this is word for word. <coughs> Excuse me. Sometimes our English, or you're going to see a little change in the English, but in the Hebrew, it's exactly the same. So verses 8 to 22, now here verses 1 to 15 in Psalm 105. And notice then how it continues. Remember I said uh, at the end of that here in the psalm, it's verses 13 to 15. You know, it, it sounds like Egypt. It sounds like the Exodus. Well, notice how it continues, verse 16. He called for a famine. Joseph went down, right, sold as a slave. Then Israel, verse 23, came to Egypt. And then you see Moses, verse 26. And you see the plagues are referenced. And then... You see the plundering of Egypt, verses 37 and following, and notice how it ends. He remembered his holy promise and Abraham, his servant. And so notice again, that goes back to the covenant ideas here in the psalm. Um, that would be uh, verses 5 to 12. And so possibly um, somebody took this psalm of David and expanded upon it. Uh, maybe David did it himself. We don't know for sure. Uh, but notice the connection here with Psalm 105. So then, and back here in 1 Chronicles 16, the next section is verses 23 to 33. So here we have some more commands to sing, declaring it to the nations. God is God, not these idols. So we give him the glory and strength and so forth, worship him, right? And then down uh, through verse 33, even all of creation is rejoicing. At the coming of the Lord. So now, let's look at Psalm 96. <clears throat> Psalm 96. Now, as you look at this one, you see there are only 13 verses. In other words, there's no addition to what David says in the Psalm in 1 Chronicles 16. Now, this is mostly word for word. There are actually a, a few differences, but minor. Not much. Um, but there's no extended edition like we saw there in Psalm 105. And so here now, Psalm 96 is part of this in First Chronicles 16. 
And then lastly, back in 1 Chronicles 16, verses 34 to 36, hey, giving thanks and asking God, right, to save and gather and deliver. And then the final, blessed be the Lord God and such here. Well, this then is found in Psalm 106. So let's turn there a moment. And like Psalm 105, there's a lot more added to this. Obviously, you're only looking at three verses, not surprisingly. Um, and notice then how it begins in verse 1. Praise the Lord, right? So the hallelujah. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. So that uh, is what begins this psalm. And then if you look at the end of the psalm, verses 47 and 48, that's the rest of uh, that portion of First Chronicles 16. So in the middle... You may recall that this is the final psalm in book four of the Psalter. And so notice what he talks about. He talks about only those who are righteous can declare his praise. Verse four, remember the Lord. And then it goes on a litany of recalling their sin. Verse six, we have sinned. Hey, nevertheless, uh, and he talks about Egypt and the Red Sea. Nevertheless, um, <clears throat> he saved them for his name's sake, verse 8. And uh, then verse 13, they forgot his works. And they see uh, some of the grumbling uh, recited there. Envying Moses, verse 16. The calf in verse 19. Um, in verse 24, they despise the promised land. Uh, verse 28, you have Baal of Peor and Phineas and so forth. Um, and then you see the waters of strife and so on there, verse 32. Um, and then we uh, can look down further to some of their idols, see verse 36 and following. And the idols of Canaan in verse 38. And so verse 40, therefore the wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people, so that he abhorred his own inheritance and he gave them into the hand of the Gentiles. So this is a reference to sending them into exile. And so then, verse 47, here's the prayer. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name to triumph in your praise. And then Psalm 107. O give thanks to the Lord. Verse, uh, uh, end of verse 2, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands. Now, <clears throat> this obviously raises some questions. Um, presumably, David wrote all this first, and then it was expanded upon. I suppose it is possible that David's original psalm, uh, they added a few things at the beginning and the end or something to that effect, um, especially here, this connection to Psalm 106. But you may recall when, uh, especially in Sunday school, <coughs> excuse me <coughs> when we were talking about the Psalter and the structure of the Psalms the flow of the Psalms using Palmer Robertson's book and so forth okay, you should have all this memorized by now right um, book 4 is all about Israel learning what is most important when they were in exile remember book 3 emphasizes Israel going into exile and the questions, what happened to the Davidic promises and so on and so forth. And uh, God is judging his people. But book four is focusing on the fundamentals, 
Okay, what is most important for us in our worship? Okay, Israel was taken away from the promised land. They had no temple. They had no ark. They had no sacrificial system and so on and so forth. And so God is reminding them, teaching them what is most fundamental in terms of worship. Isn't it interesting that the ark, <clears throat> separate from the tabernacle, is brought to Jerusalem and so part of the essence of worship is found there, but not all of it. And now here is Israel in exile in book four, and they are learning to worship without all of the elements of worship there with them. And they focus on what is most important. And so the, the, the fact that First Chronicles 16 is referenced these three times in particular in book four, really should be no surprise. As David is seeking to unite Israel in worship under his rule, so here in book four, there is a uniting of Israel in worship in Babylon. And you may recall that these psalms are the first set of hallelujah psalms, Psalms 104, 5, and 6. They learned to give praise to God even when everything they knew was gone. And so David is on the front end of this, you might say. And so um, we believe that First and Second Chronicles were finished after the exile. We believe that the Psalter was finally all put together after the exile. It is quite possible that Ezra did both of those things. And so the connections here are quite intentional. And so for us now, here 2,000 years after Christ and 3,000 years after David, we now focus on the essence of worship. This huge event in David's day and the remembrance of this event, even when Israel was in exile, we can make connections for us here even today. Christ's coming brought all kinds of changes. The fact that Israel learned to worship without the outward forms of religion in exile prepared them for Christ's coming and the changing of these outward forms of religion. And we see that, for example, in John 4, as he is speaking to the woman at the well. And then obviously we see the destruction of the temple uh, in AD 70 and so forth. And so all these things then are, are all fitting together. And we then, here in Western PA, in our small little building here out in the middle of nowhere, we can worship in the same ways, like David did. We don't have 30,000 people or whatever it is. We don't have all these chief musicians and people writing psalms and so forth, but we can worship our God in the same way because of some of the things Israel learned with David in the exile and the coming of Christ and so forth. And even if our external things are taken away from us someday and that we have to worship God in a cave or in a prison or whatever it happens to be, right, <clears throat> um, right, we can do the same. We can sing praises to our God and remember his covenant promises whether we are sitting here or sitting somewhere else. And so the connections uh, are significant here in this way. Yahweh and his rule is not tied to a box or a building. 
His temple as a building is not essential for true worship. True worship can take place anywhere, not just in Jerusalem. And so the exile and even other hard times that the church has had to face, even when God is bringing punishment and curses upon us, this can help us so that we will focus on the main essence of our worship. And so, let me put it this way. Our focus in 2 Samuel 6 and 1 Chronicles can lead us to this euphoria, if you will, and all the wonders of worship. But the connection to the Psalter in Book 4 reminds us of these other points, too, that our worship is not just when everything is wonderful, but even when it's not, even if it's in the context of God and bringing judgment. So uh, a few thoughts here in this way for these two ideas. And so let me end just simply with this, uh, these words here tonight. May these events, these historical events that Chronicles and Samuel have told us about, may they spur us on in our worship of our covenant Lord. Okay. And so whether in times of great peace and prosperity or times of hardship and difficulty, we should always give praise to our God. So a few thoughts here in this way this evening. And so Lord willing, next time we will turn to, uh, if you will, the dark cloud hanging over all of this, and that is Michael's response uh, to this day. So let's pray together. <coughs> our Father and our God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for what you teach us here, and uh, in this case, from uh, multiple passages. We thank you and praise you, Lord, that you are our God. You are our covenant Lord. You are the one who has made promises, promises that have been in existence for thousands of years. And we are thankful, Lord, that you have brought fulfillment to these promises, even in the days of the patriarchs and in the days of David and, of course, in the coming of Christ. And we are enjoying some of the, the, the fruit of the fulfillment of those promises. But we also look forward to the day when the fullness of all of these promises will be ours in the new heavens and the new earth, where we will not merely bring a box to a city, that we will not merely focus on a beautiful temple and singing psalms and musicians and so forth here on earth, but that we will be ushered into heaven itself in the fullness of your presence and the fullness of worship can be realized without hindrance without our sin, without uh, other things to hinder us in our worship. And we look forward to that day, Lord, when we will worship you in all uh, that it means to worship and that um, uh, it, it can be realized. Uh, Lord, we just, we yearn for that day uh, where we can do that. But we ask then for your help that you would strengthen us by your spirit, and that we would encourage one another in our worship now, and the worship here in this place, and the worship that we 
uh, do on our own, with our families, and in other locations. Lord, you certainly are worthy of all of our praise. And help us then to give you glory. And remember that you are always with your people. And that your worship is, is something we can do anywhere. Whether in times of ease or times of sorrow and hardship. And so Lord, we, we thank you for these things. And again, thank you most of all for who you are. And what you have done for us by your grace and mercy through Christ. And so we pray all these things then in Jesus' name. Amen.